let's see what the stew has in store for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. Today you have me, the review gnome Jared, and I'll be doing an interview with a very special guest. This week we have a special guest that has visited us before on the Gnomecast. We have Adam Bradford from Demiplane back again. Last time we had Adam on the show, Demiplane Nexus wasn't quite a thing yet, so this should be a fun update. And thank you, Adam, for being on the Gnomecast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. So what would you like people to know about Demiplane Nexus, just in case they haven't been keeping up since that last uh, last interview? Yeah, yeah, so much has happened because I do, I, I at least vaguely, you know, I'm, I'm getting older and it's harder to remember everything, but, uh, <laughs> but at least vaguely remember uh, some of what we talked about there. Uh, but uh, yeah, Demiplane has been really busy and, uh, you know, what we've been doing is primarily focusing on these Nexus digital tools. You know, I, I spent some time in, in the former uh, D&D Beyond days putting together some uh, a digital tool set for, you know, the world's oldest role-playing game. And so one of the things that I wanted to see, you know, very badly uh, in my time there was that same level of support, uh, you know, high quality tools being available for all these other great games that I play. Because, uh, you know, for me, you know, D&D has been something I've played for decades, I guess, at this point. But I also play almost everything else that I can, you know, get somebody <laughs> to actually uh, play with me. And so I wanted to see that kind of thing happen because, you know, noticing that these other games just haven't gotten that same level of support. And so one of the things that we set out to do 18, 24 months ago uh, with Demiplane as a, a startup company is kind of, you know, go into that development tunnel. And it, it is a tunnel. It's kind of like uh, embarking on an epic quest down into a dungeon because, pulling this stuff off is pretty hard. Like in, in having lived through that before with uh, DDB, it's tough to get this stuff right. And so uh, if you have been keeping up with Nexus recently, we have started with uh, a couple of core features, which are the digital reader, where you're going to be able to find all of the game content in uh, you know a convenient place. You can use this to, to read. It's a little different than a PDF because... Uh, you can have it on your phone or tablet, uh, very portable. It's got kind of enhanced tool tipping and cross-linking available in it. So all of you know the game's content there uh, in the digital reader. And then we have the game compendium is the second feature that really takes that same content and just presents it in an alternate way. So um, you've got listings, which are going to be tables of uh, different rules elements. So if you're looking for spells in a game, you're going to see all the spells in this listing. If you have kind of bigger and broader game elements like a class or like, a, you know, a heritage or, or, or something like that, that's going to be in the game compendium as a primer, which is uh, really an aggregated single place that are, uh, you know, is going to kind of collect everything about that one thing. So, you know, if the barbarian class has uh, rules about it spread out across a whole lot of books, then you can go to the single barbarian primer and be able to see everything collected there. So those are the two core features that we've had out there in early access for the last several months. And uh, we've uh, kind of fine-tuned everything. It's a stair-stepping process where uh, we kind of have to get everything done for the digital reader to have the content available in the first place. 
And then we start parsing it into, you know, kind of more finite and specific data bits uh, that, that end up becoming that game compendium piece. And then finally, the, uh, the real cornerstone of what we're putting together are the character tools. So that's kind of the third and final launch feature that we've been working on, uh, a character builder to initially create your character, and then a digital character sheet that you can use at the table to play your character. And we've uh, really been in that dungeon uh, for the last several months because we've been uh, kind of you know uh, polishing that part of the platform. We are piloting this with Pathfinder 2nd Edition, which if anyone has played that out there, is uh, a very uh, crunchy and complex game, and it is a wonderful pilot for us to be able to kind of prove out the concept of, you know, if we can get this to work for Pathfinder, we can get this to work for any game out there. And so uh, so we're getting very excited. Uh, Pathfinder, uh, you know, my gut tells me we're about a month out from the public beta. So that's kind of, you know, our big milestone where where we're launching that and, uh, and, and really excited to be getting uh, to the part where we can see light at the end of that tunnel and to be able to get our first set of character tools out. And then the good news is we've kind of built this in a way where the other games are going to come much, much quicker now. We knew that we wouldn't survive if we didn't make it in that way. And so uh, we're excited about Avatar Legends and Vampire the Masquerade, which will be uh, the next couple of games that are going to get character tools. I had written that article not too long ago, looking at the uh, preview of all of the vampire material on the Nexus. I will just say in the reader, World of Darkness games tend to have very heavy story introducing sections in the books. And I love the fact that the reader just presents those pages. You can see what the pages look like in the book, but then you can just see the words yes. on a screen and read them. And I greatly appreciated that when I was looking at that. I think that we don't always realize how much we use something like Control F on a, a web page just to simply find a word. And so that is the thing is, especially as we start to get toward our end state with what we're doing, even with the digital reader right now, we have some global search and it, it can kind of get you where you need to be. But for the most part, search is something that we haven't really uh, spent a ton of time on yet either. And that's kind of right after character tools, we're going to mm-hmm. come back to search and do a lot with it. But by the time we're able to make that pass, it really is just going to be an invaluable resource for being able to play any of these games that we support. And I agree, you know, Vampire the Masquerade has been something that I've played, uh, I guess, decades there too. It's uh, staggering to think about our own mortality when faced with thinking about how long (laughs) we've been playing these games. But with Vampire, it is, it's like that is a game and a system that is so focused on uh, story and lore. And the reason that many of us love it And one of the things that is sometimes challenging is being able to surface some of those mechanical elements out of that lore and be able to kind of mine that out of the lore. And that is definitely a goal for uh, Vampire Nexus and Hunter Nexus and uh, Werewolf Nexus when we get there and everything else. What do you see as some of those challenges between different rule sets that you have up there? And I've personally, I've I've spent some time looking at the Marvel Multiverse. playtest that you have on there and vampire these are very different rule sets so (laughs) yeah and you know that is the great thing and and one of the reasons that um again kind of that stair-step approach that we have needed to take which is get the content you know we we get this content from publishers in indesign files and 
you know, essentially what they would send to printers. Mm-hmm. As we get that raw content, digitizing it in the first place, really at that point in time, they're all the same, you know, for the most part. Like they're going to use different layouts and InDesign. And our team has worked really hard uh, for, for many of uh, the digital uh, companies out there, uh, the process of taking that raw content and making it into, uh, you know, HTML that's going to display on a web page somewhere. That is a tough, a, a tough thing to do. And many people don't realize the ins and outs of, uh, you know, just, just how hard that actually is. And one of the things that Demi Plane, of course, we did this uh, in my past life as well, is uh, we kind of have some secret sauce. Uh, the people that did all of that at DDB are no longer there. They are working for Demi Plane. We take that raw content and do some you know, special things to it to let us move pretty quickly to get that there. At that stage, other than the different idiosyncrasies that art directors have on their layout uh, at the publishers, there really aren't that many differences. And so that's kind of the, the real kind of uh, blank slate starting point. And then after we digitize that content, starting to parse it into what goes into that second feature of the game compendium, this is where some of those differences start to arise. And, you know, really, ultimately, we're trying to have as much coverage as we possibly can for that to make sense. We sometimes have uh, decisions between, hey, is this going to be more valuable in a tabular uh, format or is it going to be more valuable as one of these primers? So all those discussions happen with the team. You know, at this point in time, that's becoming a very operational, normal uh, discussion that we have, uh, you know, in the office. So that part, we've really gotten that process down. But then the character tools are where it all starts to to really be differentiated, right? This is the reason that we've had to take this platform approach because at the end of the day, in that past life, when we made digital tools for, for D&D, we painted ourselves into a corner in a lot of places. And this was never more apparent than when new content that had some sweeping changes, like Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and you know some of that content as that started to land it was like, oh no, how are we going to implement? And and honestly, even something as uh, quote unquote simple as, oh, now you can choose which ability scores are going to be connected uh, to, to your traits and those kind of things. That was a very difficult thing for us to be able to pull off because we had made something so dedicated to a single system that it really was a closed system in a lot of ways. And so uh, again, just so many challenges and so being able to live through that and then understand that at Demiplane, what we're trying to do is provide that same you know, high quality level of support, but we're going to do this for dozens of games. Then you know, the first thought is we're never going to be able to do that. And then when we took a few deep breaths and started to think through you know, how does this work, when it came to character tools, how we really put that together is internally we have developed a visual scripting language and it's proprietary. It's something that we've made in house, but we've got this visual scripting language that, um, you know, essentially uses nodes. And so it's almost like if you've ever done like a mind map or, uh, you know, those kinds of charts like that, you're going to be able to, if we're taking ability scores for Pathfinder, this is a great example. This is timely because, uh, you know, Path, uh, Paizo has, 
recently announced that there is, uh, you know, a remaster happening for for second edition of Pathfinder. Part of the slow news week this week. <laughs> yeah, the slow news week. Yeah, that's it. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't want to date it necessarily because I don't know exactly when you're going to release this. But, um, but yeah, very, very recently they have uh, put that out there and. One of the things that they confirmed in a live stream that, that I was watching today, and of course they've uh, you know told us uh, some of this uh, b- beforehand anyway, but you know ability scores will no longer be actually part of the game; that it will be just ability modifiers, and that you know kind of getting rid of scores because they're kind of superfluous anyway, and you know all of that. And so I think that um, you know when it comes to what we have going on. If we're building out ability modifiers like, uh, you know, this remaster is going to use the math behind how that works. They've already confirmed that for the most part, it's still going to work the same. You know, that it's almost like you had ability scores. It's just removing the confusing numbers from people. All of that is still going to work the same under the hood for the most part. And so we're going to build these nodes that are taking the different bits of logic that if a score is equal to 12 or 13, it's going to have a plus one modifier. All of that kind of stuff is built out into these nodes. And then there are connectors like in a flow chart that are coming into where that's going to display in the character builder, where that's going to display on the character sheet. And so it allows us to have this just supreme flexibility to add in different things. And a long time ago, what I figured out about this stuff is that when you are making digital characters, and a manifestation of those for people to use. At the end of the day, we're talking about math and manipulating strings of text. And I know that is a gross oversimplification of what we have to do. But when we get down into the weeds, it helps us to, again, kind of blue sky it and, and come up over the storm clouds and say, all right, we need to get this math working. Or, hey, we need to manipulate this string of text to make sure that that string of text shows up where the player expects to see it and when they expect to see it. And so all of that is kind of the guiding principle of what we're doing. And Mm -hmm. so with this platform, the flexibility that we've seen, we've been diving deep into Pathfinder. We're getting really close to that open beta where we let the entire public in and kind of launch that. That's taken us months to get to this point. But as we are already starting to do uh, some uh, initial work on Avatar Legends and Vampire, we're seeing that you know our hypothesis is holding true that with this platform approach, it took us months and months to get here for this first game, but we uh, suspected that it might be talking in units of weeks as we start to go into those other games. And so far, I'm not saying Avatar Legends is going to necessarily be just a few weeks, but I am saying that we're seeing massive gains as we're starting to dive into that game, not only because Avatar Legends is... Uh, less of a complex game for sure. But the good news is, is that flexibility is there that we are able to build out a playbook and we're able to build out, um, you know, moves and techniques and everything else that goes into that game uh, in a much simpler way than it was to get them started for Pathfinder. So um, we are really hopeful and, uh, you know, at this stage, optimistic that we're going to see, you know, uh, a handful of games release the back half of uh, 2023 here. And then, you know, essentially by the time we roll into next year, we're going to have the games that we've announced that we're supporting. Those are going to be available, uh, you know, with, you know, full-blown character tools. That is nice. It is nowhere near on the same scale of anything that you're doing, but having 
tried to recreate playtest material for both Tales of the Valiant and One D and D in uh, Roll Twenty for my playtest groups. Holy crap, is it easy to forget where something connects somewhere else and uh, how that cascades into something else? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, and there's so much complexity and we we literally have a team, our game content team. Our entire team has a whole lot of alums uh, from, from DDB. I uh, enjoyed working with them and I saw how great they were. And so it's like, hey, I, I need you. I need your help over here. And so, um, you know, that team is just incredible at keeping up with that complexity and working this through. And so, you know, the team members who are working in these, we call them engines. So the way that these nodes work together, these engines, um, it, it really is something to behold. And, you know, we've recently grown the team, uh, added a new member, and they have been just cranking through some stuff in the last couple of weeks. And so even, you know, today, we released a massive update into the closed alpha because we are, we're prepping for, uh, you know, being ready for this open beta. And, um, and, and we're just starting to see this traction that was really, really hard. Again, when we were in that tunnel uh, a couple of months ago, it was really hard to see that finish line, but, but we're certainly getting to a point where we uh, we're, we're starting to see the matrix a little bit and it's really exciting for us. So shift gears just a little bit. I know last time that we were talking I may have brought up a VTT and you were discussing how that wasn't really the focus of anything that you wanted to do. What I wanted to ask about is now um, I have a friend that runs games on Roll20 but uses above VTT to access the D&D Beyond material. Is there anything like that that could be on the horizon for Demiplane Nexus? Yeah, I, I, I can very positively affirm that it will absolutely be a thing really what it was all about in those days. And, you know, this is one of the reasons, uh, you know, I, I know people don't know all the nitty gritty details about this, but, you know, D&D Beyond became, by factors, really, but before I even left, it became the biggest digital partner, uh, you know, for Wizards of Coast out there. And there were a variety of factors for that, but one of them that there was compelling evidence to support was that VTTs are trying to accomplish a goal. And often that goal is connecting people remotely. So obviously, I know that people can use it in person, and I have done that before with you mm. know, TVs laying down on tables and everything else. But you know, really initially uh, set out to with a use case of connecting people remotely, and then also giving people a way to replicate things for tactical combat um, and uh, and kind of the tactical style of play because. Uh, you can't do your Dwarven Forge over the internet, uh, you know, easily or whatever, right? And so I think that with miniatures and maps and everything else, VTTs historically have focused on that as the use case. The thing that I saw before I started D&D Beyond was the thing that they weren't doing was what I genuinely still to this day believe is the most essential, fundamental, and important part of playing all of these games. And the question that I ask often is, you know, can you play any of these games without a VTT? And almost across the board, you can answer that question, yes. The thing that I then follow up uh, in a rhetorical way is, can you play these games without a character? That, of course, comes back, no, I'm not, I'm not aware of any of these games where you're not playing a character. <laughs> and so for me, it was a pretty simple thing that like, look, we want to nail the character experience and make it the best way to build or maintain or track or progress characters. And I believe that, uh, you know, 
it, it definitely wasn't perfect, but I believe we more or less accomplished that, you know, with, with D&D Beyond. And again, that was something that then when I wanted to go play Vampire or I wanted to go play, you know, Pathfinder or anything else, it was almost difficult to get people to even come play because they were like, wait a minute, I don't have something like DDB to, to go and create my character. Why would I do that? You know, and so that's where for me, I love these other games. I want to see them have nice things too. And so that really came down to it for us that even at Demiplane, we are going to provide a lot of different tools for people to connect. Our matchmaking actually is a very sophisticated algorithm. It, it's working well. That part's going great. There are many things there, but the cornerstone, as I said earlier, is characters. I remember spending that embarrassing amount of time on the World of Warcraft Armory. Like we connect to our characters that we play in ways that psychology hasn't fully explored or explained right now. I'm interested in seeing one day. But, you know, I think that the characters part of the experience is truly the, the important piece. And so we're going to nail that. And I'm confident that we're going to get it in a great spot. From there, that means that there is a new VTT popping up virtually every week. And, and this is great. And I actually wish them all success. And I use some of them for sure. But I also have seen that there's no accounting for taste or preference out there. And people are going to want to use what they're used to. They're going, uh, going to want to use the things where they feel like they have access to the assets that they need, all of those different kind of elements. And so for us, we're going to nail this character's experience. We're going to make it the easiest and best way to explore the content that you own for these games. But then if you want to take that and play in any VTT, we are absolutely going to provide ways for that to be as easy of a process as possible. It greatly behooves us to do that. And the good news is the way that we have put this platform together is at the end of that, where these engines are telling data to go, that's going to build these beautiful character sheets that we're working on and everything else. That is the same kind of information that's going to be able to be imported into your favorite VTT out there. And, you know, a variety of other places, there will be other applications. I still believe, and again, I, this is not me spilling any beans because I, I haven't actually inked any kind of deal with any of this yet, but it's like, I believe that, you know, there will be video games in the future where you will be able to create something on a Nexus and be able to import that into a video game that is using roughly the same kind of rules. Like those are the kind of things that we are absolutely going to do, you know, at some point in time. Uh, it's very important for us. And it also kind of answers the question about, no, we're not focused on providing VTT functionality within what we're doing at Demiplane right now. Because again, we think it's a very crowded space and most people can find what they're looking for with, with things that are currently out there. The thing that we still hold to that isn't being nailed in all those places is that character's experience. And so that's what we're going to focus on. And playing that game with my friend, nothing against the Roll20 character sheet that's in there. I mean, the D&D character sheet is probably one of the better character sheets that they have implemented in there. But it was so much nicer to just open up my character in D&D Beyond and just have everything poured over into the VTT instead of using the character sheet. Absolutely. And again, I know uh, so much of the team over at Roll20 and, uh, you know, I know what they are trying to focus on. Again, I won't speak for them here, 
but they are focusing on a part of the experience that isn't necessarily prioritizing characters in that way. And so, like, I understand, you know, all of us only have the bandwidth to do, you know, certain things uh, with our teams. And so I think that, you know, again, we saw that with DDB. I absolutely expect to see a very heavy usage when it comes to Pathfinder Nexus, Vampire Net, you know, all of the different games that we're supporting. We are going to do everything that we can. And and by the way, there are a ton of community developers out there that have already been reaching out. We haven't been able to really kind of connect with them yet because we are very focused on, on what's currently on our plate. But when we get the platform up and running, we are going to be working with a variety of, uh, you know, community developers out there and everything else to try to make sure that we are, uh, you know, providing that output information about a character in as uh, seamless of a way as we possibly can to make it as easy as possible for you to take that into your favorite BTT. We keep circling back to this, but, you know, I, I took a deep look at Vampire 5e recently, so it's on my mind. You have Vampire 5e, you have Hunter the Reckoning, you did mention Werewolf. I wasn't sure if you had officially said that you were supporting Werewolf or not. We definitely have our license extends to Werewolf, and we have every intention of having a Werewolf Nexus. Now, with the pipeline and the roadmap that we have ahead of us, the reason we're not just really going out there and waving the flag right now for Werewolf is we don't want to put something out there and we certainly don't want to collect money from people about, you know, a werewolf game until we know when we're going to be able to slot that into the schedule. And so at this point, I don't think it's looking great for us to be able to have that available when that game releases in August, but I can tell you that it's a priority for me because that's my favorite part of World of Darkness. That's actually my favorite of the uh World Yeah, of I, I love it. I love too, it. So. And so I, I have a very personal <laughs> vested interest in uh and making sure that we have that so um it is absolutely we will have it 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 is just a matter of when and of course uh you know we want to make sure that we can deliver these vampire character tools where fans out there of world of darkness can see what we're going to be bringing to the table after that we're going to be able to slot a werewolf into the schedule but we're really excited about getting so with multiple world of darkness games on nexus do you foresee having maybe like a meta nexus where you could look up material from all three of those games that you own in one spot absolutely a possibility and certainly something that we have discussed uh, many many times uh internally of uh you know trying trying to figure that out a lot of this is um kind of at the stage of me having conversations with people of like, wouldn't it be cool if, um, you know, kind of conversations, mm-hmm. we are really curious to see how people are using it out there and how much crossover is kind of, uh, you know, welcomed or participated in out there. I can say that very recently we have announced a, a new show that is coming to our channel on May the 5th, <laughs> which is Enemy of My Enemy. And it is an incredible cast of players coming together to play some vampires and some hunters who are working together. So we certainly love the idea of the crossover. We'll see how that show plays out. And if that is something that the community is looking for, I think that it is absolutely a direction that we could go in the future. So since you brought it up, how important do you feel the shows that Demiplane has been uh, sponsoring are to your overall you know, outlook on things? 
Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, streaming is a core part of our lives at this stage. And as I said, staring at the face of my own mortality, I'm an older guy. I actually didn't have the internet when I was a kid. I'm at that weird generation <laughs> where we didn't have the internet when I was a kid. We I started getting access to it at the first time when I was, you know, in my teenage years, uh, you know, late teenage years. I didn't have my own computer until I got married, you know, so it's like I've gotten to see this transition. And so I would say that my children, uh, streaming is an even bigger part of their lives than it is for me. You know, it, it's just this huge part of our lives now. The thing that I always go back to is that comparison that, uh, you know, I'll take basketball since I'm a big basketball fan. Basketball makes some sense if you're watching it. You can probably be like, okay, this person needs to take that ball and put it in that basket. If I handed you a basketball rule book, it's going to be almost impossible for you to be able to go from what is written in that rule book to being able to go out there and play basketball. You're, you're not going to be able to put it all together as simply as it is. You know, So if you're trying to teach somebody how to play basketball, typically you're going to just take them to watch a game and they're going to get a feel of that. And really, I think that that's the role that streaming occupies when it comes to the world of gaming is that it used to be that the only way I was going to figure out how to play a new game, and I remember this when I was, uh, well, people can't see me, so I won't grab it, but uh, this is audio only. But, you know, I've got a Marvel, you know, saga edition of the mm-hmm. game that I, that I loved when, when I was, you know, a teenager. I remember that, like, I tried to read the rule book and I had already played Western game Star Wars and D&D and, uh, and I was trying to figure it out. And it was fascinating that I finally saw somebody playing it in the basement of a game store. <laughs> one day and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not how I do it, you know? And, 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 you know, so, but it's like, I figured out how to play that then streaming shortcuts that process dramatically for us today. And so I think that when it comes to Demi playing and our programming and, and what we're doing with streaming, you know, one of the things that we want to do is, uh, you know, number one, one of our goals, and this sounds, you know, possibly kind of cheesy when I put it this way, but it, but it is something that we, absolutely think about is that we care about this tabletop role-playing space. We care about the fans. We are fans ourselves. And so we want to give the opportunity for things that fans like us like. Uh, We want those things to have oxygen to breathe. When we have an opportunity and Deborah Ann Wohl says, hey, I have this idea for this uh, original world that I'd love to do but I haven't been able to, you know, really uh, make it happen yet. We're like, you know, how can we help make it happen? That is ultimately <laughs> for us. We have, um, we have kind of uh, backed into a lot of the streaming programming that we've done to this point. But again, that's been because we've been in this development tunnel. As we start to emerge on the other side of that and we fully launch what we're doing here, you can expect to see a real ramp up in streams and in programming uh, article content, there's going to be so much content that is going to be available because we we understand what it is to be a fan. We understand that fans love to continue to engage with the things they love, even outside of the game sessions that they're playing with their own friends. And so streaming fills uh, you know part of that role. You know, being able to go to a website and see updated content regularly, that's all part of it. Because again, I'm an NBA fan. I'm an uh, action figure collector. 
I'm on all of those sites. I have a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles site that I visit. Well, three of them that I visit every day. I'm on IGN every single day. I'm looking at what's happening out in the world of entertainment. So, um, you know, I'm a fan of so many things. I'm a huge fan of these games and we want to provide that hub you know, and again, we're not even saying that it's the only place that people are going to go. It's not one-stop shop, but it's going to be a great destination for people to go to have their stuff that they use to play the games, but also a way to continue to celebrate their fandom in between the times that they're playing. Now, let's get to the gigantic dire elephant in the room. The 5e Nexus is on the horizon. I have some questions about this just because I have been doing a lot of different playtests. I know this is like a huge question because I don't know who you have lined up, what material you're going to have there, but how difficult is it going to be for, say, one company that has subclass levels at different uh, levels and another company that doesn't have those subclass levels lined up the same? You know, are you going to be able to take subclasses from one and use them with the other? Are you going to be able to swap out, say, feats versus talents? Because that's a thing now with Tales of the Valiant. How hard is all of this going to be to get to play together, even though it is all coming from the 5e SRD? That is definitely the question. Uh, It's a very good one. And, you know, the way that I answer that, um, I've kind of already laid the groundwork for. And that is, you know, with this platform that we have built, we knew, but because again, a lot of the reasons that we went this direction where we have this more open-ended visual scripting language that we've put together and built, you know, even with just, uh, you know, core wizards of the coast released 5e, we got into a mode where like, wait a minute, it's very difficult for us to provide this optional and different style flavor of an element. So this is a, you know, I, I believe what it's called there is lineage, you know? So when lineage came along, it was difficult because we had too monolithic of a structure of what we had put together for our system internally. And so I'll maybe uh, shortcut uh, some of the more boring backend elements of this, but to say that for, you know, players as they are engaging with this, what we expect to see, and again, you know, we're working on the character tools for 5e the back half of this year. So we haven't started that part in earnest yet. But definitely thinking about this, having the conceptual discussions, everything. And the idea would be that as a player, I am entering a 5e Nexus character builder. As I'm in there, I am using a preferences panel that is optionally enabling different elements from different game systems. So, you know, talents replacing feats, those kinds of things, getting heritage to play in there. There are things from uh, other publishers, you know, I'll go on and hint, uh, you know, if you're playing uh, pirates from an ethereal expanse or or, or any of these other things out there, (laughs) you, you can bet that for 5e Nexus, we can't start with all of them, but we have plans to include all of the big players out there. And, you know, even from the start, we'll share more about that in another month or so, but uh, from the start, you'll see that we will have some great coverage from some major third-party players out there. And as this is coming in, there are those different variant, optional in some cases, rules. Those will all be toggleable with preferences. And yeah, that means that our team is going to have to go in there and work on understanding that you can't use talents uh, from 
uh, what's going on with Tales of the Valiant with some other option that insert publisher name here is doing that is going to conflict with that. And so we're going to have to keep the oil and water and peanut butter and jelly separated to a degree. But that is what we're signing up to do. And that is what our system, this engines-based system, that's what's going to happen. And so when you toggle that on, that you want to use talents, then what is going to happen? And, uh, you know, uh, it remains to be seen what the final form for uh, Black Flag and Tales of the Valiant is going to be here. But it's like, you know, for instance, if they say you can take feats and treat them as talents when it comes to selecting things, you know, uh, and again, that, that may not be where they end up. If it was, for instance, you would toggle that on when you go to select talents at wherever those would be situated for the classes for Tales of the Valiant, you would be able to see, uh, you know, SRD feats. And if you choose, you would also see feats from Publisher X over there and, uh, you know, Publisher Y. And, you know, all of those things would be coming in. So the aggregation is a really, really important part of what's going on with 5e Nexus And we understand that we've got to really get that part right for that to have the value that we want it to have out there in the community of players. That's the other thing, too, is we also understand that Creative Commons gives us a a great SRD as a foundation here. We have so, especially with Tales of the Valiant and some of the other content that publishers are, are starting to work on. There is some great stuff. I'm not making any proclamations here, but there is some great stuff coming from Cubicle 7. There's some great stuff coming from Ghostfire. That kind of content definitely makes tweaks to that initial system. Much of that content can exist on its own using the SRD only, but much of that content also says in an official Wizards of the Coast source, you can use those options as well. So even though we won't be engaging with selling that content directly, we always want to make sure that anything you could do on paper, you can always do in the digital version of this. You know, the ability to uh, to homebrew and make sure that you can fill in any gaps that you have. We see a big need for that out there. And when you have a closed walled garden like Wizards of the Coast is erecting, the ability to have that open, you know, playground outside those walls is really, really valuable. And that's that's the space that we're trying to occupy with 5e. I was gonna say I have a few friends that do freelance work, and that has definitely been a big issue with third-party developers. Even as big as they've gotten, a lot of people want something like DD Beyond to be able to make their characters or to interact with the rules. And that keeps a certain number of people away from third-party publishers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, I think that this is where I tried very, very hard in my past life to open those walls and to let great content from third-party publishers in. I wanted to welcome it with open arms, and that was not in the cards. Definitely not based on the decisions that I made. Um, you know, it was, it was not in the cards. And so this is an opportunity, I think, to kind of see that uh, part of the vision really uh, materialize. And again, I think that what is so great about what Cobalt Press is doing, for instance, with Tales of the Valiant, this really is a game that can be played as a standalone game. And so, you know, in many ways, as you're playing Tales of the Valiant, you're going to have everything that you need. And even, you know, if you're wanting to insert some of those other 
uh, elements in there. Like I said, we're going to make it very easy for you to be able to be accommodated. And I think that, you know, the vein that everybody has really just been, you know, kind of going in when it comes to DDB is like, hey, you know, you're playing with this official content, but then you have a spattering of third-party content options that you're going to manually put in there. Again, just like you would with paper, you're going to manually do that. I think what is emerging in the 5e space is many of these publishers, especially in the wake of uh, the debacle in January and everything else, they are understanding that like, hey, it's a-okay for people to use content that they want to use from, uh, you know, core 5e or anything else. But we are also making games that really can stand on their own. And so 5e Nexus might not be for all 5e groups out there, and that's perfectly fine. We believe that there are many fans and many players out there who are going to be playing uh, Tales of the Valiant. You know, it's going to be predominantly the third-party material that they're using uh, in those games, possibly with a spattering of, uh, you know, some of that other core material. Uh, And so in that case, if you're that kind of group and, and that kind of player, it's going to be better, more convenient, easier for you to use 5e Nexus to create your characters because the amount of things that you're manually filling in the blanks for is going to be less than if you went that other route. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about while we have you here? And we are not against you breaking any news on our podcast. Uh, Yeah, I always love that one. Uh, And, you know, my wife all the time, she calls me a feeder because, you know, it's like I go up to the concession stand and she asks for a hot dog and I come back with, you know, four other things that I'm trying to give her or whatever. Uh, So it is very in character for me to uh, want to drop, uh, you know, everything at, uh, at all times. You know, over the years, I've had to you know dial myself back, but uh, but no, I think that I've definitely kind of laid out what our approach is at Demiplane and what we're really concerned with, and I think that what I am most excited about that maybe I'll I'll add that I haven't you know specifically touched on yet. What I am most excited about is again, as a fan and as someone who was there starting what became this you know tool that millions of people are using to play these games that definitely gets me going. But the thing that gets me going at this stage is even early in that process, I wanted to do that for these other games because as much as I love D and D for years and years and years, I've loved these other games that I believe deserve their time in the sun. And I think that January's Mm -hmm. happenings more than anything else, by the way, I believe D and D is going to be fine. I think that D&D's creative team is incredible. I think that they're going to weather the corporate tools storm <laughs> and they will come they will come out in a good place at some point. But what I will say is that whatever happened got people to stop for a second, take a breath and turn their head to the left or right and see that there are other games out there and I think that that is a really good thing because some of these games are great. Some of the stuff that Pies was doing, but some of the stuff that Free League is doing is just cutting edge game design uh, and development. It's wonderful that people can start to appreciate some of the art that is being created around us there. And then that for us is a very motivating thing at Demiplane because we don't want the barrier to be what I mentioned earlier. We don't want people to say, yeah, but I uh, you know, don't want to play that game because I don't have these tools that I'm used to having when I play D&D. 
that really is what gets uh, you know our team out of bed and into the virtual offices these days. And we really do care about that mission. And for going on a couple of years here, we have been in that tunnel and we haven't been able to uh, truly show what this is going to mean for these other games. What I'm really excited about is as we hit into the middle part of this year, it's going to be a new phase of what Demiplane's doing. You're going to see these character tools. They are going to really you know, have an impact, and we genuinely believe that. The thing that you're going to see when you see start getting these into your hands as you're trying these other games out is uh, really the love and passion that our team's putting into this thing of giving your character those things that are so special to us this really good treatment and and this ability for you to continue to engage with them. And, you know, it's the thing that I saw in the past life that I can't wait that when people are playing vampire and they're in line at the supermarket and they just happen to, to think about something that they want to pick up next with their XP and they pull up their character right there while they're in line and being able to just continue to engage with those characters, even when we're not, uh, you know, playing our sessions. I'm really looking forward to that. And we're getting much closer here to being able to uh, to start that phase of, of what's going on with Demiplane. Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great having you back. And hopefully at some point in the future, we'll have you on again. Yeah, absolutely. We're happy to do it anytime you want me here, Jared. Thank you. Thank you. This show is funded by the Gnomes 2 Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnomes 2 website to the Gnomes 2 Patreon. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Pandas Talking Games. Queer gamers talking about tabletop role-playing games and making outtakes. Join Pandas Phil and Senda every Wednesday answering listener questions about playing, running, and designing TTRPGs. Get cozy and let's talk about some games. You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. You can find me at WhatDoIKnowJR.com for more reviews and RPG insights. Ange isn't here, so I'm going to assume I'm not going in the stew this week. 